Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic... Hey, Matt, Matt, Matt. Oh, hey, it's Reverend Jake. Oh, my gosh. Thanks hey, for stopping by. I was just checking out the stats, and I've noticed no one in New York City listens to the Sermon Podcast, but people all around the world seem to. Are you serious? I, I always thought we were New York... No, I'm New not York serious, <laughs> but... But we do want to say that if you like the Sermon Podcast and you like the ministry and the things that are going on at Calvary St. George's, to go over to calvarystgeorges.org backslash giving and make a one-time gift or even join us in this mission by making a pledge to the parish so that we might continue the good work. So you're saying that people from all over the world can support us if they enjoy these podcasts, even if they're not in New York? All over the world. So if you're passionate about the gospel, get behind us. And now on to the sermon. Uh, thank you, Father Smith, for that extraordinary welcome. It's, it's a great honor to be here. As dean and president of a seminary, I take real interest in the state and health of the Episcopal Church. And uh, this, these congregations, Calvary and St. George's, are congregations that are talked about in the Episcopal Church. They're places of energy and life. And that's in large measure thanks to the successive leadership of these congregations. And it really is lovely to be here and see exactly what's happening for myself. Uh, As you can probably detect, although I come from the Commonwealth of Virginia, I don't have a southern accent. And no, I'm not from Australia or New Zealand. Uh, I am, in actual fact, from England. I'm one of many people who made the journey across the Atlantic, and it's lovely to be here. And uh, my wife and I are very happy here in America, and we consider it a privilege uh, to be citizens of this country. So thank you for letting me stay, and uh, (laughs) thank you for this invitation uh, to uh, Calvary Church. Okay, so I've got something I want to share with you all. Your decision to wake up this morning and come to church was in health terms as good as going to the gym. Seriously, this is up there in things people should do to be healthy. It really makes a difference. What's very interesting, there was this extraordinary study in 1999 by Dr. Hummer and others. It was published in Demography, and it was entitled Religious Involvement and U.S. Adult Mortality. And it established that if you go to church more than once a week, now I'm sorry, that's a bit of bad news for Episcopalians, (laughs) but if you can pull that off more than once a week from the age of 20 for the rest of your life, you will add seven years to your life. Now, sociologists, I love them in Jesus, but they're a secular bunch. Not all, because there's always at least one sociologist in the congregation right now who's going, excuse me. Uh, Not all, but many. And therefore, they insisted these studies were replicated and replicated and replicated. And what's interesting is the data has been consistent. It's not necessarily seven years, but on average, it's two to three years difference that regular church attendance makes to your health over those who never go. Now, for a long time, our sociologist friends just took the view that church wasn't the cause, 
It's the type of people who go to church. You're less likely to smoke. You're less likely to drink to excess. You're less likely to be involved in street gang violence in Chicago. Therefore, of course, you live longer. Until 2016. And Harvard University disclosed the results of the nurse's health study. Now, this was a huge study. 74,000 nurses were involved. And even here, where there is a similar socioeconomic pattern, none of them were involved in street gangs in Chicago, even here, they discovered regular churchgoers were a third less likely to die during the study. So what is it about church that makes such a huge difference to your health? Why? I want you to park that question for one moment and let's just turn to that remarkable gospel you've just heard. It is an exquisite portrait of Christ that captures the nature of the incarnation. Now, just to remind you all, the incarnation is the claim that Jesus was completely divine, completely God, and simultaneously completely human. Jesus is the disclosure of God to humanity, the eternal word made flesh, the divine wisdom among us, and at the same time, was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was completely divine and completely human. And so it's captured in this remarkable narrative. Jesus arrives, discovers that a friend has died. He then illustrates that he is the Lord of life and death. He instructs the stone to be removed despite the danger of the stench. And he calls on Lazarus to come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. And that picture of divine power is married with this exquisite picture of Jesus' humanity. All people are local. Of the seven plus billion people living on planet Earth, Our lives, your life, intersects with what? On a typical day. Family, friends, work colleagues. Twenty. Jesus, of course, was the same. Jesus knew certain people and saw them often. And in that moment, you see the deep care and compassion that Jesus has for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact... It provokes the shortest verse in the Bible, at least in the King James Version, the words, Jesus wept. The very humanity of Jesus comes pulsating out of the text, while at the same time, the power of Jesus is revealed in the capacity to take death and conquer death. What is it about a place of worship with its focus on Jesus that has such enormous health benefits on average? 
Of course, the interesting thing about church is that it's actually often focused on the tragic. So a cross led us in. A cross hangs in this space. We're reminded a symbol of judicial execution reminds us constantly of the fragility of life and living. And church teaches us two important skills in that context. The first is the skill of gratitude. We're enjoined in scripture repeatedly, give thanks to the Lord in everything, Paul writes in Philippians. We're constantly exhorted to recognize that the normal is an extraordinary gift. Every day that's normal is a miracle. If you wake up and you realize you're breathing, say thank you, Jesus. If you wake up and you have running water, say thank you, Jesus. If you sit at a table and you enjoy cornflakes, say thank you, Jesus. If you're surrounded by family and friends who love you and care for you, say thank you, Jesus. The normal is an extraordinary gift that we should never take for granted. Why? Because the normal's fragile. The extraordinary thing about this liturgy is in a minute you'll hear Reverend Smith take us through the great thanksgiving. That long prayer, the Eucharistic prayer. In the process, we allude to creation. We thank God for the revelation of God's saving acts in history. But then it moves to the climax of the prayer, which is, of course, tragic. It is a prayer about a death of a young man in his early 30s at the hands of an occupying power, betrayed by his closest friends. But we learn that by divine grace, that tragedy is the vehicle of our salvation. We learn that by divine grace, that tragedy enables us to be right with God. We learn by divine grace that that tragedy can make us whole. And suddenly, we learn an important life-enhancing lesson that even in the tragic, even when we're worried about the test, even when we're worried sick about our grandchildren or our children, even when we're worried about our state of employment, even when we're worried about our relationships, even in the hardest moments of living and life, there is the gift of divine grace always at work. This is obviously healthy, learning to be gratitude, grateful for the normal, and learning to see grace in the tragic, this is good. But there's another important skill that's especially important as we celebrate in the church's calendar All Saints Day. It is the Christian hope of resurrection, seen in the gospel And described in Revelation the promise that this life is but a fleeting, ephemeral moment. And it's part of a bigger picture that God has created for us. Learning to live with the Christian hope such that we really believe it is a life 
transforming gift. Learning to really appreciate that in the end, to quote Paul in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Those we, we are missing today, those we love and no longer see, for they're on another shore. We trust and believe in the Christian hope that reminds us afresh that they're in the loving embrace of God and they are literally in a place where there's no crying and there's no tears. You can sort of understand once you think about what happens in a Christian community week in, week out, why it's as good as going to the gym And incidentally, I'm not saying it's a substitute for, ideally do both. And it's as good as a healthy diet where you dodge the processed food and you focus more on the stuff that you can buy around the edge of the grocery store and not the stuff you can buy in the middle. All of that makes sense because we learn dispositions and habits that shape and frame us, that we live life with a sense of gratitude, we find grace in the tragic, and we locate living and life on the wider canvas of the Christian hope. So well done. You've done church this morning. That's a good thing to do. But let me finish with this thought. I don't want anybody to imagine that you participate in a faith community just because it's healthy to do so. You participate in a Christian community because the Christian narrative about the nature of the world and how the world is, that narrative is true. There really is a God. There really is a God who's revealed God to humanity in Jesus of Nazareth. There really is an obligation on us all to learn the habit of gratitude. There really is the promise of divine grace in the tragic and in those hard and difficult moments of living and life. There really is a Christian hope which we're being invited to participate in that starts now and will continue beyond the grave. All of that really is true. And do you know what? And I can say this because I'm a theologian and not a sociologist. But if you want my own hypothesis about why church makes a difference to living and life, I think it's because people who participate in Christian communities are living life as God always intended to be lived and aware of the reality of God. Amen. Hi, I'm the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I want to thank you for listening to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast. The month of October is our season of stewardship, and if Calvary St. George's has made a difference in your life, even from afar, we're asking you to consider how you might financially support us in our mission share the gospel to the very ends of the earth by making a pledge. A pledge 
says that you're with us in the 2019 year and allows us to help shape our budget and how we are going to carry out this mission in the 2019 year. Remember, no pledge is ever too small. So head over to calvarystgeorges.org backslash giving and make a pledge today. And as always, thank you for your prayers and your support.